Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we're lucky to have on the show the fabulous Wayne Schmidt, one of the men behind Zero's successful launch in Australia in 2009. Now, in this episode, Wayne gives us the inside story of how Zero, the accounting software, if you don't know who Zero is, <laughs> grew from being a New Zealand accounting startup to becoming a billion dollar market leader in the accounting space. Now, if you're interested in this story, we also dig deeper in our sister podcast, The Deal Room, where we look more closely at the background of the two founders of Zero and examine the listing process and how an IPO strategy worked for Zero. And if you want to hear that further part of the story, then at the end of this episode, we'll tell you where to find it. But in this episode of today's Talking Law, we are focusing on some practical business lessons looking at the details of the early days of the launch of what has now turned into a well-known business brand. Wayne and I discussed the importance of the concept of differentiation for businesses and how Zero achieved this in practice. So if you love success pack stories with valuable lessons for business owners, this episode is perfect for you. So don't go anywhere. Here we go. listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Wayne, can I just say, firstly, a massive thank you for coming in today onto our show. I know this is going to be a big blast. Let's just kick it off. You are talking to us from Kosamui, right? Yes, and I've put a nice shirt on just for you. So you're sitting there in Kosamui because you're living the dream. You're on a one-way ticket and seeing the world, is that right? Yes, one-way ticket, but I'm calling myself a digital nomad now. Digital so. nomad. Okay, I like it. I like the term. What the hell does that even mean? We've set up our business so that we can work anywhere. So we can work remotely and still travel. Fundamentally, after we'd launched Zero, we were sitting down figuring out what we wanted to do in our life. And we wrote down all our passions and travel was one of them. Philanthropy is a huge one for us. And still wanting to work and give back, but in our own time. So we wanted to control our own destiny. And controlling our destiny meant, well, we had to really restructure our lives. We sold up everything in Australia and then just did a, the leap of faith. And Australians are pretty good at saying, gonna, gonna do this, gonna do that. They are, 100%. <laughs> so you put action behind it, Wayne, you put action behind it. Yeah, I'm very much an executional type guy. I like to, I'm best at a startup in the first two years. After that, I tend to spend most of my time in the HR department. Let's not drill there further. (laughs) So let's go back then a few years. I guess the story that we want to talk about today is zero as a whole. 
how the business grew to a successful exit, how that exit felt and how it worked. But let's just go all the way back because I think in some of our discussions in the past, you said that the plan for, and I guess it's not IPO, it's not an exit, but but the plan for the outcome of Zero was formed right at the beginning. So Zero was formed on the basis of how the business saw itself at the end. It had a very clear strategy. Like uh, So Zero is it's a New Zealand company. It was formed in 2006 by Rod Jury and Hamish Edwards, so two co-founders, um, an entrepreneur, which is Rod Jury, and an accountant, Hamish Edwards. And they formed Zero with a strategy that they were always going to list because they realised that you're going to need capital to, to get a software development as big as this. Writing an accounting product isn't cheap. Uh, they wanted to go um, wide, so they wanted to go you know, multinational from day one. So they ha- they went straight with uh, you know an IPO listing very early on, like within the first year they'd IPO'd. Wow! Uh, on the New Zealand Stock Exchange within a year and get that funding, and they did the bare minimum, like it was a what we call a minimal viable product MVP, which is basically means it doesn't work. <laughs> but and and what year was this, Wayne? Two thousand and six is when it formed, got listed. Two thousand and seven on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. And I was working for the, the direct competitor. I was working for MYB. So I, at that stage, I was the country manager for MYB over in, in the UK. And I'd been watching MYB. We were, you know, we had a quarterly or we were meetings for all the country manager or GMs or managing directors would come together from each region. And we'd look at zero and go, oh, we've got a thousand customers. It's from New Zealand. It's cloud. The cloud's never going to take off. You know, no, 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 it's nothing. It's just, Wayne, would you just shut up? And I got the, Wayne, will you just shut up often? And I was sitting there going, I really think this product can go places. And you've got to remember in those days, especially in Australia, NYB is the market leader. It's just huge, you know. And I can remember, it was a Friday afternoon. I still remember it quite vividly. Zero wasn't in Australia. They're in New Zealand. Their share price had been a dollar for a couple of years. This is, in, you know, it's in those early years, those real struggle years. It was gradually, slowly getting clients in New Zealand. And Friday afternoon, I sent an email to their CEO, Rod Jury, saying, hey, we should catch up and have coffee. Now, um, big alert for all the people here. If you have your staff saying they're going out to have coffee, going to look for a job, okay? Okay, I'm writing this down. This is actually good intel. Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> I'm out to have coffee today. Right, they're looking for a job. And that's what happened. And I can still remember I sent an email to Rod because um, I'd found, you know, I'd met Rod on LinkedIn and, you know, and that's how I was introduced through the technology. And over the process of about three or four months, um, a very, very long interview process and selection process, to get through, I was interviewed by everybody, including the janitor, by, I think, by the end of it. And one thing led to another, and I ended up getting the job, so being the country manager. So we launched Zero in Australia on the 1st of October 2009. And we're a startup. Like, we launched it on our kitchen table. 
Wow, that is incredible. And I tell you what, I remember, you know, I was starting my practice at around about my legal practice at around about that time. And I'd always come from use of myop in the, in, you know, the background. But I, I wanted to, you know, start this legal practice a little bit more innovative than practices that I'd been in in the past. And so I was onto zero at the end of 2009. So I must have been some of your first starters. Here in Australia, but I just remember at the time just thinking, you know, this is awesome from a business perspective. How much easier it is from the user experience as a business, as a business owner, to integrate with the software without, you know, I started the business as a, a really small entity. So I didn't have a lot in terms of staffing. So I wanted stuff that was practical. And, and I guess Zero is just that perfect example, right, of, of that type of, I guess, disruptor, you, you know, whilst it's not disruptor in the Uber sense. <laughs> Certainly, it was a different way of doing accounting, bookkeeping software, right? Um, I actually, I would actually say we were disruptive, and I'll challenge you on that one, Joanna. You know, you're launching a software company against the entrenched player, like entrenched. MIB is a household brand name. You know, it was, and I worked there. You know, I headed up marketing at one stage. You know, I had a marketing budget where I could just go and stick the brand on the back of a bus, and they think I was good. And so we decided we had a couple of things that we decided we first of all we were always going to lead from the front so we were not going to mention the competitor so we never mentioned our competitor's name and we always lead from the front but we were disrupting and so when we're disrupting you're going to have to educate one of the things we learned i learned very hard is to disrupt you have to educate i remember employee number two is my wife in the, the company so Sally was what i still remember how she got hired rod was um over from new zealand we're at our local Greek restaurant, um, and my wife and I, Sally and, and Rod Jury, the co-founder and CEO, and uh, Sally went to the bathroom and Rod said, we should hire her. And I went, um, okay, uh, <laughs> would be good if you gave me the budget. <laughs> so we ended up telling you, and that was possibly one of the things that made um, Zero what it was in those early days because she's a sales operational person. So having a sales ops person and, and a, a sales marketing person, such a blend. She just got me in a car and I did um, a massive road trip around the um, you know, eastern seaboard of Australia. I would be visiting two cities a day, doing events like this in front of maybe six people. I'd dance if I ever got to 10. It was hard. Like it was a lot. People think, oh, well, you just do some online advertising. Well, that's not going to work because I had a marketing budget of nothing. So um, we had to figure out what we could do, which was events. And the other thing was social media. You know. I learned everything I know about social media through Zero, and specifically um, Catherine Walker, big shout out to Orange Girl. She taught me everything. Orange Girl's her tag, and uh, anybody from Zero would know. She manages their social media. And they led with social media because you, we could we realised the leverage effect that you could. It was a one to many. I only got onto Twitter, you know, like a month before I went to start working at Zero, and now I, I talk about social media all the time around the world and how you can leverage it for any business. Like I can still remember. So when we started it, you know, and it, you know, uh, you know, we got employee shares and and. And that, that, that was good. Like, you know, they had a pretty good incentive package because, you know, I can still remember when they gave me the contract and you've got to understand in those days, my wife still worked at MIB. 
I think Zero is very cool about it. MIB was very cool about it, but eventually she said, you know, Rod just wanted her, and so she moved across. But I can still remember when they, they here's something for listeners. I can still remember them giving me my contract. Now, we hadn't talked about sorrows. You don't tend to at this level until right at the end when all of a sudden contracts get exchanged. And they showed me my package, and I went, oh, I thought I was going to be getting a bit more. Um, so I was taking a pay cut. So uh, for those people that are employees, I took a big pay cut, massive, to work at zero. Because they said, what we're going to do is give you a base salary and you give you the rest in shares. And I went, right, the share had been a dollar for the last two years. And they said, we're just going to give it to you most of your salary in shares. And I went, can't I have it in cash? <laughs> But and now you're loving that decision, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm loving that. And it was one of the sometimes, you know, you don't have to be the brightest person in the room to do well. You just have sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time. But then we, within the first year, Sally and I realised that zero was going to go places and we, in, in our heart of hearts, and we knew that because our competitor had done something really dumb. And it was the best thing that we ever had. You very rarely get a free kick. And we got a free kick. Um, MYB sent a survey out to all the accounting firms going, which products do you know? And they listed zero down because no one knew of us. Now the 9,500 accounting firms all of a sudden knew about zero because we were on the survey that MYB sent out. Uh, and so that gave us a little bit of an uptick. And so Sally and I decided to invest our own money into zero. And then immediately the share price went down 10 cents. <laughs> and when it's only 90 cents and it goes down 10 cents, your wife just looks at you going, right, I'm not talking to you for a year until it gets back to at least its original 90 cents. And how long did that take? How long did that take? Jeez, we stayed in the doldrums for uh, a good year or so. Um, until we started making traction. Um, so it's interesting. Zero is in New Zealand, Australia and the UK. UK was it launched earlier. Um, so UK had been running for a while, but they introduced a new country manager at the same time. We both started at the same time. And New Zealand was growing the fastest and they had a really good country manager at that stage, um, Leanne. And I worked really closely with her and we're constantly sending our team over there and learning from the New Zealand experience. Now, one of these things I, I find is... Uh, I, hate this term, oh, it's different in our country. And so I went, mm, she's doing really well. Um, and I, I like what we call R&D, rip-off and duplicate. <laughs> in New Zealand, I did a lot of R&D and brought everything, whatever she was doing that was successful, we copied. So the fastest growing country has always been Australia. Australia ended up overtaking every country now as the market leader. It's so, you know, it, it is the market leader in Australia and Australasia. UK is now the number one, uh, and it eventually started following the New Zealand model because of that model worked. And the countries that followed that model have had the best success. I noticed Canada is doing really well for zero, um, and Singapore as well is, is doing really well. And so tell us, you're talking about this model. What, what, what is the model? That, what are the elements of the model that you think really worked and really got your traction? Uh, getting on the road, like sitting in a car, doing – and I just noticed the – I've been watching on LinkedIn and Wirefire, the, the Canadian managing director, getting in a car and you're doing two events a day 
there's 10 people in a room and, you know, and it's the double effect. The first time you do an event, maybe 10 people. I just wanted 10 accountants in a room and I would present them. But then you'd come back another six months and it'd be 20. And then you'd come back in another six months and it'd be 40. And now, But that started, you know, like obviously from some really hard work of, as you say, just turning up to event an event of, you know, 10 people, you said. I've talked in front of three. I have actually talked in front of three people. It's tough. And so, so it's the hard work, it's the putting yourself out there. Obviously, you know, product has got something to do with it as well. So it's a new product that was a new product doing things a different way. Our biggest problem was, so a fear campaign was set up in the marketplace. So our competitor said, you know, the cloud's not safe, don't use the cloud. So we had to differentiate ourselves. So we had to train people. We go, okay. So, and I still remember my training. The training was... Okay, and it was a room full of accountants. They're all in suits. You know, even Wayne was wearing a suit in those days. <laughs> a full suit all the way. <laughs> well, no tie because we had a rule. We were a no tie company at least. Right, right, right. And so I would always go, look, do you do you do internet banking? Because I knew that internet banking was was happening in Australia. So this is 2010. We're all moved to internet banking. So most of us had moved to that. So I said, anybody do internet banking? Yeah, great. Do you actually move money around? Yeah. How do you? And you, you don't get a receipt from that, do you? No, you just do it on your computer. How do you know the money moved? How do you know? And they go, welcome to online. You've been doing online banking. Online banking is just the same as online accounting. And then we figured out the Achilles heel, which is uh, – so then we worked out what – so we that solved that security question. So I had that nailed in 30 seconds. So I would get that. That was to be – my opening was that because I knew that it would be they'd sit on there for the whole hour thinking about security. So I would always open with the security question first. So if you ever have – and this is in any industry. If you've got something where people have got a concern, bring it to the front, right up front of your presentation. Don't leave it to the end. Um, but so if people are concerned about something, start with that and get that, rip the Band-Aid off. So I'd rip the Band-Aid off and do that example and get it real world. I'd actually pick somebody. Normally I would pick somebody. So I'd, my process was I'd ask everybody to put up their hand. Who does the internet banking? And I'd get them to put their hand up. And then I'd ask them a question. Oh, you do internet banking? Okay, which bank do you bank with? And I'd have a little bit of banter with the audience member and I'd say, oh, welcome to Cloud. You've been doing it all this time. And that saved the audience. And then the next thing that I realised was... Um, the, what was the number one reason why small business owners in the world go bust? Well, all business, not even small business owners, all businesses go bust because of cash flow. So I did this little analogy, which was, okay, and I'd get the accountants, put up your hand, what's the number one reason why small business owners or business owners go bust? And they'd put your hand up. And they all say cash flow except for the slow ones. You know, there are some slow accountants out there. <laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> um, it's cash flow. Don't get me anything else. So you go cash flow. Okay. So you know it's cash flow. Who here knows the balance in their bank? Everybody knows that. Everybody. Everybody wakes up in the morning in those days and you should look at your phone and see what the balance is in your bank. Who knows the balance in their accounting system? Oh, we do that maybe once a week, once a month. We'll do a bank rec, and there's the disconnect. And so I had a line that I used to say, which was. Every day that you don't do a bank rec is the day that you like to just keep running your business blind. It's your company. Run it the way you want it. If you want to do a bank rec at the end of the month and run your business blind for that month, 
it's your problem. But just remember, cash flow is the number one reason why you go broke and you decide you can knock your bank break until the end of the month. My next example was, and this was positioning, helping bookkeepers understand the power of zero was, you know, the information is uh, coming from bank each day or each week or month, they'd send your bank statement. Now, that used to be electronic in the bank and they'd print it out and then you'd get a little human to get that bank statement and rekey it into your accounting system. Mm, yes. I remember those days. I do. Yeah, nuts. So that's where I pitched. So I had to work my Achilles heel because we knew that in those days we didn't have payroll, we didn't have stock, so we only started certain clients. We were, you know, we, so, you know, I had to be very narrow on my client selection because we had a minimal viable product. So you had to be like yourself, sell a service, have no staff, um, you know, be dealing with one of the banks that we supported. But then as the product grew, I could expand that client base. So instead of using a shotgun approach, we went very, very narrow. So I went, okay, you have to be a sole trader. Um, you have to bank with ANZ in those days uh, and you have to sell a service. Okay, let's find those. And then once we launched payroll, great. And then once we started integration with CBA um, on all the rest, that, that just kept opening and opening and as the product expanded and we had inventory and things like that that just grew and that's the snowball bit. But I suppose one of the things you've got to think about, so for my audience is always think about minimal buyer product, don't go... You know, like marketing and using shotgun, you know, don't do that. Go niche, find out, find out the perfect fit for your market right now. Maybe your product doesn't or your service doesn't suit everybody. Great, okay, we just got to narrow it down and tell people that. So we would say to accountants, this product in those days, if you've got staff, well, we didn't integrate with any payroll products, so bad luck if you had stuff. But we gradually did. We ended up integrating with a product called PayCycle and we ended up buying that company. The only regret I have is we put um, we bought shares via our super fund, except our, my financial planner said, oh, I don't want you to double down and put everything. Wished I would have because um, that would have even been better. But um, we put a large percentage of our super into zero shares. But if I had my time again, I would have sometimes – You've got to let your gut because my gut there was I'm betting on myself and my team. The other thing I liked about Zero, and Roger is really good at this, country managers at Zero are like the, the doctor in Doctor Who. who um, we regenerate every two to three years. Right. <laughs> I was only country manager for two years and then we had um, Chris Reed come in. So I moved over to just set up sales because traditionally I'm a salesperson. You know, I, I sell stuff. And, you know, we'd grown to have about 14 staff. I'm not a big people person. I don't like managing teams, like that type of things. I'm great at startups, you know. Give me a startup with one staff member or two staff members and I'll get you to 14 and I'll get you a market. And that's what Rod Pixie. So then we had Chris Reed come in. He came in and worked for three years. So he's ex-Microsoft. He came in for three years. And then he regenerated um, to Trent McLaren, uh, uh, Trent Innes, sorry, um, Trent Innes came and he's the new MD and he's now got the company with 250 staff, you know. So, and he's been there probably three years now as, in, uh, as country manager. So this process of, and that's worked really well in the countries where they've done that, they've kind of like regenerated 
and pick the right person for that level at the company. So even now, Rod, Rod stepped aside as the CEO of Zero, and they've now got Steve Vamos, um, ex Microsoft, uh, now leading Zero. And that's that's nothing wrong with that because you've got to get the right person with the right skill set for the company to take them to that next level. I think that's a, that's a really good point because. Um, you know, a lot of organisations are a bit um, set and forget. I mean, maybe not forget, but set and sit. But I really like, you know, the evolution that you're talking about. And obviously, you stayed within zero, but you you took your skills um, and your knowledge and you moved it into the next area of the business that suited where you were, obviously, where it was at that phase and where you were at that phase. I think that's a, you, you know, that's, that's a that's a great comment on a, a way to approach a business growth, I guess. Most people need a bit of a reality check on what they're good at and what they're not at. Um, and I had – so this is not my idea. Again, I do a lot of R&D, rip off and duplicate. This is um, Darren Reed. This is from you. This is a shout-out to Darren. So Darren got me to do this, which is – and everybody should do this. Get a piece of paper, put a T on it, write um, what you're really good at, Write what you're bad at. Like, really be honest. I am crap at managing large teams. What am I really good at? Just give me something and I can sell it. That's not a problem. I can sell anything. Um, so I really got down to a really nitty-gritty, like really good. Um, then so no, write down what you're passionate about and what you're not passionate about. And I love this. People say, I follow your passion. Bullshit. Okay, yeah, I'm passionate about snow skiing. Am I going to be an Olympic snow skier? No. I don't have the skill for it. This, I'll follow you passionate. I'm going to seriously, you know, punch someone the next time they say that. Just because you're passionate, it doesn't mean you have the skill set for it. Write this down. It gives you clarity. And I do this every couple of years. And so I realise it's hard to take, you know. I'm country manager. I'm now going to be, I'm stepping down to national sales manager, but I'm country manager. Mm. You need to be, most people aren't self-aware. Um, I used to, Chris Reed and I were great because we worked really well and it was very hard in those first couple of days, or first couple of weeks, you know, he's now the country manager, MD, that's my role. And then we had this really good working relationship where um, we played off each other and he, I was his sounding board and I took feedback really well, so I'm quite open for just tell me what I did wrong, you know, give me feedback. And he'd, he'd always constantly say, hey, I would approach it this way. Um, Trent's awesome at doing that, uh, growing his, his team. So one of the things is, is just be a bit more self-aware. Hey, be, you don't, like I don't want to be a CEO. Everybody thinks, you know, I've been a CEO now a couple of times and I go, why the hell did I get into that role? I don't even like it. Sit down and write down, you know, what you're really good at, what you're really crap at, what you're passionate about and what you're not passionate about. If you've done it enough times, I've now done it. I just did it last year just before I resigned from my last company to do what I'm doing now. And that's when we came to the realisation that we're going to resign and start travelling and start giving back and doing a lot more philanthropy. And so we, we'd gone on a three-month holiday so we started on, on the 2nd of December last year. We're taking three months off. And in that holiday, 
we decided that we're going to resign from the company that we were working for. So Sally resigned on the way back just before she got on the plane. I resigned when I got off the plane. Wow. Didn't have an idea what we're going to do. Uh, We just knew we were going to travel. We left Australia three weeks after that. Now that concludes this episode with Wayne Schmidt, Zero's former country manager, the man who launched Zero in Australia back in 2009. Today we heard an inside story behind Zero's journey from being a New Zealand accounting startup to being a billion dollar market leader in the Australian accounting space. I really hope you enjoyed what you heard today. I definitely enjoyed recording it. (laughs) And if you did, please join us again next week for another episode with Wayne. So in the next episode, we'll be talking about Wayne's new life as a digital nomad, mentor and philanthropist. We'll also talk about the importance of building giving into your business and how you can go about doing that without taking away focus and attention from your day-to-day business. And look, if you also want to hear more about the story of Zero, in our sister podcast, The Deal Room, we dig deeper into the background of the two founders of Zero, and we examine the listing process and how an IPO strategy worked for Zero. If you'd like to listen to that episode, just head over to The Deal Room podcast and look for episode 71. Or alternatively, you can go to our show notes for this episode 73 at talkinglaw.com.au where we will link right through to that episode 71 on The Deal Room. Look, that's it for today. If you aren't already subscribed to Talking Law, please head over to Apple Podcasts or your other favourite podcast player and just hit the subscribe button and then you will get notifications straight to your phones when our new episodes are out. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. While you are there, you might also like to check out our innovative product, Legal on Tap. Our SME version of this product provides a business with access to a team of lawyers to answer questions as they come up in the business. And our large business version also provides this access to our team of lawyers to ask questions, but it also provides a wide range of online-based training in contract law for non-lawyers. Both of these products are available for a ridiculously low monthly price. If you're interested, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au and check out our legal on-tap pages or head over to our contact page and submit a form to let us know that you would like more information. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.